Well, good morning, LCC family. It's Pastor Evan here joining you for our April 5th broadcast of our Sunday service. You know, these are times when certain passages of Scripture come to life. And Paul wrote this to the Thessalonians. This was the, uh, the first century version of the technology of streaming in his day. And he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. And while we have great desire to get to see you face to face again, thank you for, for gathering with us in heart. In a moment, Pastor Ronald is going to lead us in worship, and then I'll join us for some announcements and our offering, and then we'll hear a word from Pastor Keith. But let's, let's join our hearts in prayer. God, we thank you for the power of your word that is sung and heard to create faith. And God, we ask that. These are times when we need our faith to be strengthened. So as we, as we listen to these words, as we hear these truths, would their realities resonate in our hearts, Lord, awaken a trust, a looking to you, Lord, a realization of all that you have promised and all that you are to us. In Jesus' name. sing together do you feel the world is broken we do do you feel the shadows deepen we do but do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through we do do you wish that you could see it all made new we do. Is all creation groaning? Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Of all blessing and honor and glory. Is He worthy of this? He Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. 
And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those he loves? He does. And does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died, ransomed the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with His Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is He worthy of Blessing and honor and glory, he is worthy of them. He is. And who is like the Lord our God, strong to Faithful in love, my debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is my salvation. The grace of God. The grace of God has reached for me And pulled me from the raging sea And I am safe on this solid ground The Lord is my salvation I will not fear I will not fear when darkness falls his strength will help me scale these walls. I'll see the dawn of the rising sun. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like? Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save. Yeah. 
My hope is hidden. My hope is hidden in the Lord. He is faithful, always faithful. He flowers each promise of His Word. When winter fades, I know spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. In times of waiting, times of need. When I know loss, when I am weak. I know His grace will renew these days. The Lord is my salvation. Listen to the Apostle Paul encourage the church in Corinth through suffering and through what he experienced. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. And listen to how he concludes. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Let's sing it again. In times of waiting, times of need, with that as our guide. In times of waiting, times of need When I know loss, when I am weak I know His grace will renew these days The Lord is our salvation Who is like our God? Who is like the And when I reach my final day, He will not leave me in the grave. 
But I will rise, He will call me home. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love? My debt is paid, and the Father, glory be to God the Son, glory be to God the Spirit, the Lord is our salvation, glory be, glory be to God the Father. Son, glory be to God, the Spirit, the Lord is our salvation. Who is like the Lord our God, strong to save, faithful in love, my day. delight and my reward everlasting never failing my redeemer my God and oh praise him hallelujah my delight and my reward everlasting never failing my redeemer I'll set my gaze on God alone and trust in Him completely. With every day pour out my soul and He will prove His mercy. Though life is but a fleeting breath, a sight too brief to measure, has crushed the curse of death, and I am His forever, and I am His forever. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, my delight and my reward, everlasting, never failing. My Redeemer, my God, and oh, praise Him, hallelujah, my delight and my reward, everlasting, never. 
never failing, my Redeemer, my God. Father, our very lives are in your hand. You have redeemed us through Christ. You have looked upon those who have confessed Christ as Savior. You have looked upon them and have removed their sins as far as the east is from the west. Lord, you've done more than that, Father. You've not just left us innocent before you. You've adopted us into your family. You have given us life, Lord. Not not momentary life, Father, but eternal life. Lord, and your blessings continue. You have promised also that in this life you will be with us, Lord for times like we are facing. Your nearness, O Lord, has been promised to us. You are not a distant God, uncaring and detached from our suffering. You are in the midst of what afflicts us. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for being our great Redeemer. We pray, Father, that you would become in our hearts our delight. We pray, Father, that you would become in our eyes our reward. Oh God, show us mercy and grace, Father, and help us experience you as we have never experienced you before. We pray these things through Christ, our Redeemer, who has made a way possible to you. We pray through his sacrifice on the cross. Amen and amen. Amen. I'm going to highlight a few ways to stay connected with what's happening at LCC. The the best way to stay informed is through our app. If you don't have that downloaded on your device, you'll you'll find there notes for the message uh, this morning, as well as resources for LCC kids, for families and children. Uh, Following us on Instagram and Facebook is also another great way just to to stay uh, informed about what's taking place here. But a few things we wanted to highlight here. One is that you'll find uh, in the app there under the COVID-19 section, there, there's a little form there to let us know how you're doing. Uh, thank you to all of you who filled that out. Every time we read over one of those entries, we are praying for you. We want to stay updated with uh, what your needs are. And, and maybe your situation has changed since the last time you, you filled out that form. We want to know about that as well. So please keep us posted how we can care for you and how we can be praying for you during these days. Uh, the other thing that, that uh, began this past week was our hot meal program, and we were able to give out over 1,300 lunches and meals into the the surrounding community, and much thanks to Mark and Connie Udo for their efforts in arranging that, as well as Pete and the team here for putting all of that together. Uh, Just a blessing to be able to serve others in this time, and that that happens as well through people coming and giving their time, and and there's a a way you can sign up if you'd like to serve. There There are two time slots each day. There's one that runs from 8 o'clock to 10.30 in the morning and another from 10.30 to 1 o'clock as well. So you can uh, look at the, the upcoming uh, time slots in the next couple of weeks and maybe sign up for one of those to, to come serve. And there's some more information there about just some criteria for those who are going to be helping with the, the food preparation as well. We are going to take a moment just to acknowledge God as the, the source of life and breath and everything else 
and, and to do so through our, our giving. Uh, there are several ways that you can continue to give in this time. Uh, one would be through our, our website or through our app. You can also use the, the bill pay function uh, with your bank, and they'll send us a check. Or you can just put a check in the mail, and we'll still be in a, in a place to receive those and make deposits. But uh, very thankful for those of you who have been giving in faith in these days to support uh, the work of ministry that's happening uh, through the body here. Let's take a moment to turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer. God, as we were reminded last Sunday, when we seek first your kingdom, all of these things are added as well. And you are looking for hearts that treasure you above everything else. And so God, would we be looking to you as the source of, the provider, the one we need in the midst of many other things being uncertain right now. And would we seek and support the work of your kingdom? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church. So great to be with you, even though we are at a distance. And it is so great to have some staff guys available serving here as well. Great, good to see Ronald back in one piece and always good to have Evan. He's been a busy guy around here these last couple of weeks. Uh, Eric, some of you guys I'm sure are keeping up and, and would like to just get an update on Eric. Uh, he is improving. He is still quarantined. He is improving though, feeling much better. I'm very grateful for your prayers and for your support. Well, well welcome to Palm Sunday. Uh, Surprise some of you. Did you know today was Palm Sunday? I, I know. Uh, did you know it was April? Uh, did you know next Sunday is Easter? Uh, there's a lot not to know, right? Did you know if it's a school day or a weekend right now? And there's just a lot of things right now that don't feel like we are really clear on what's going on in our world because we have experienced a massive disruption. Right? And that's my word today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit down in that word disruption. I mentioned it a few weeks ago as we travel through this unique part of our story as God's people and as what God's doing among us. The thing that sticks out from the beginning is our world just got disrupted. Right? Um, go back just a couple of weeks, a few weeks I guess now, March 10th. I remember that day. It's going to be one of those days I'm going to remember for a very long time. Things felt normal just a few days earlier. And then March 10th, I remember the end of some meetings I had on that Tuesday, Tuesday night. My phone is blowing up. My college kids are all sending me texts and notices and emails, the one who's out of town, and saying, hey, we we need to make some adjustments. We need to change our schedules, et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly we were about to go through a massive period of everything in our world would get disrupted. I remember the elders met later that week for us to address how do we do church moving forward. We had a meeting Friday morning. We put some things in place based on what we were being told by the government only to just have a few hours passed. And then the government had said, nope, not doing it that way, doing it something differently. So that disrupted all the plans that we just had. And really kind of didn't have an idea that just after that, everything that we knew, right, was going to be disrupted. Businesses were going to be disrupted. Whether or not you'd have customers, whether or not you could stay open or not, uh, was going to be disrupted. Your school was going to be disrupted and it was going to close. 
life, routines, our calendar. Do you remember having a calendar? Do you remember you actually wrote stuff on your calendar you planned on being at? Uh, Do you remember how all that became meaningless like overnight? Our whole future just got disrupted right now. Even right now, we stare off into the future and everything feels like, is that going to happen? Are we going to be going to that? I mean, I've canceled flight reservations and plans and travel elements. And then health began to be interrupted. And, And so grateful for so many of you who have been praying for the folks in our midst who need our prayers right now. Thank you for heeding the call of God to go before God and seek healing for folks in our own midst and and extended family members who have needed prayer right now. Disruption, though, right? That's, That's in my title this morning. So here's my title for a Palm Sunday message. The God who knows disruption, right? The God who knows disruption, right? We'll come back to that in just a minute. But let me ask you a couple of questions here. Um... Have you noticed how disorienting disruption can be in your life? Right? There are things in my life, and I'm sure you're the same, that I've grown to appreciate that I totally took for, took for granted. But just having routines, having a place where stuff goes, like certain things happen on Monday, and certain things happen on Tuesday, and a different set happens on Wednesday, and certain things happen in the morning, some other things happen in the afternoon— I didn't realize how helpful routines could be until they got like totally disrupted. And now I feel like no matter where I am, no matter what day it is, it almost doesn't matter that there's days, right? It just every day feels the same. And it almost doesn't matter that I have a schedule because I feel like every day I'm asking myself in any moment, what am I supposed to be doing? What am I doing right now? And there's only like 500 things that could be done, but the normal stuff that I'm doing is off the table. So just our routines are a valuable thing, but they're just kind of not around right now. And that ramps up, right? The, the uncertainty, the anxiety, the disorganization of our lives. So question, how are you doing with taking your disorienting disruption to the Lord? Right? So I know it's one thing for us to feel upside down right now, very disoriented, very disruptive, but how are we doing taking that to the Lord, right? Making that a priority that I've got to get up in the morning. I've got to take my world that feels disrupted and disorganized to the Lord somehow. And that's where I want to start us today. I want to point us to a passage. So if you want to open your Bible, get your app out. And by the way, all the notes for today are on our app. So you can open that up and have a look at it. But 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. We're We're going to sit in those verses a little bit and interact with them a bit today. And I want us to see a little bit from their vantage point, what it was like to be a first century Christian living in a a great disruption. But then I want to transfer that to us. What is it like to be disrupted disciples? right, so we're going to get to that towards the end. But our most important thing we're going to stare at today is going to be applied to our Savior, Jesus Christ, on this day in history, rode into Jerusalem, seated on a donkey. Right? What was it like to be a savior whose life was featuring disruption? Right? This God knew something about disruption. But let's go in First Peter chapter 5 there, if you have your Bibles opened, and look at this with me. Now, now keep this in the backdrop, right? We just want to grab verses out of nowhere. What's going on in this verse in the first century? Well, First Peter 
is, is God speaking to a people who are going through a massive amount of upheaval, of suffering, of unexpected things in their life? So it's easy for you and I to stare at this coronavirus moment and to think, oh, this is so unusual. Um, but it's not unusual. All over the world, health pandemics are not unusual. In human history, health pandemics are not unusual. Right? So can you imagine living in the first century? The, the moving parts of the first century, remember this is a, there's power struggles between a variety of governments that are in place. You have a Jewish government in place. You have a Roman empire in place. And you have people grabbing for power. That could change from month to month, year to year. You could come under the control of another group. They could tax you differently. They could change your whole world. So you had a job last year before that new guy took over and became the the guy in power. Now you don't have that job. You had a tax rate that your life worked with, but this year you don't have that tax rate. It's doubled. It's much worse. It was like having organized crime run things wherever you lived. And, And then there were massive health problems that broke out. Remember, this is a day that there's low sanitation. There, there's, there's no running water. Uh, there's no medicines for daily routines. Elements of cleanliness were just not present. And so there were common outbreaks of people sharing viral issues and bacterial issues that were just constantly part of the landscape. So these are the people that we're talking about in this setting that the Apostle Peter is writing to in this moment. So they know something about life when it feels the way our lives are feeling right now. And here's the Holy Spirit's agenda for them. Chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, listen to these promises, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's just pray for a moment. Let's ask God to help us hear what his spirit has put in these verses uh, for them and for us right now. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. As we have looked into your word in the last few weeks, we have recognized, and we see it more vividly than ever, a man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so God, right now, There's a lot about our lives that's kind of like bread features, that suddenly they're just not there. And Lord, in that moment, uh, what a heightened awareness we have that we need to hear your voice and your word. We need that this morning. So God, let these words speak to us. Let this time sitting together before you 
affect our souls for the days ahead. Feed us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me just pull a couple of thoughts out of this passage with us today. But I want to highlight the fact that I like the way Peter makes this passage kind of what I'm going to call a time-sensitive passage. It's a passage that features some elements of time. I especially love this because I know I've been watching the press conferences and you still got people asking, uh, are we there yet? Uh, are we there yet? You know, I thought that was a question for eight-year-olds but while you're on vacation, but apparently it's for news press conferences as well. When's this going to be over? So there's a time factor. Whenever we enter into suffering, there's something about that season that we want to know. How long is this going to last? Is anybody in control of this thing? Well, listen to the phrases that are here, right? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, right? And then a little bit later in verse 10, he says, after you have suffered a little while. And then later in that verse, he says, God will, right? Future tense, God will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, right? So I got to love this verse because it, it's real about the fact that we're, we were in a situation that's got some time elements to it, but God speaks about it like it's got some time boundaries to it. In other words, there's, there's a proper time that God's going to act, and he's going to act on behalf of his purpose in this world, but, but in our lives, right? We're in this verse. We are those who have been called by God. And there's a moment in which God is going to act a particular way. And he also says, this, this is a little while, right? So take some courage in this. In God's view, there are suffering that we enter into that he says, this is a little while. This is a little while. And I'm going to do something at the proper time. I'm going to do something. I'm going to act. And when I do, I'm going to restore confirm, strengthen, and establish. Now, what he doesn't do is he doesn't say, start your clock right now. This is exactly how long it's going to be. But, but I, I notice God doesn't entrust that kind of stuff to us. And I've I'm, I'm, got to be grateful that he doesn't. Right? He knows when this stuff's going to begin and end. And I just need to trust him that he knows. And at the proper time, he's going to act. But then he turns around and says, humble yourselves. And then he says to cast all your anxieties on him. So first thing we're doing is humbling ourselves before God, recognizing who he is, recognizing who we are, right? There's a, a humility that comes into this moment when we get in over our heads. And I think that's what's happening for these guys. And it's happening for us as well. We just feel in over our heads. We're, we're aware that we're, we're creatures. We're limited. We're vulnerable. There's diseases out there that we can't stop and they're coming at us. Right, so in that moment, we humble ourselves. Right? We acknowledge our limitation. We acknowledge our fears. We acknowledge our brokenness and vulnerability. But we do that before God so that we are also acknowledging who he is in that moment. It doesn't do us any good just to say, hey, I'm vulnerable. Hey, I'm scared. Hey, I'm vulnerable. God wants you to do that in his presence. So that you can bring before him yourself and bring back to your own soul a sense of who he is, right? So we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And then we cast our anxieties on him. I I hope you're getting good at that, right? And I appreciate the fact that Peter used a plural word here, your anxieties, not just one. There's a lot and there's a lot right now for us. 
But are we getting any better at casting them on the Lord? I got to be honest about myself. Um, I am a world-class Olympic athlete at creating worry in my mind, right? I'm no amateur, right? If you'd like some lessons, maybe we could get together and talk. But if you want to figure out how to really worry about a situation, I can come at it from every angle. I can create what seems like an infinite amount of insights into what really could be bad in this moment, in this situation that's going to affect me or people, etc. I am, unfortunately, a amateur first grade t-ball player when it comes to casting my anxieties on the Lord and coming up with reasons why he is going to act on my behalf. I rank amateur, horrible. You know, isn't it amazing? You watch kids, they go out to play t-ball. The ball is sitting there. It's not even moving. It's just sitting there waiting to be hit. You ever watch a t-ball game? It's kind of fun. How often the ball doesn't get struck by the person swinging at it, you know, up too high, hit the thing underneath it, but don't hit the ball. Uh, Unfortunately, that's, I think, how we can be as believers. We have specialized in worry, in thinking through how bad something can be and what could be the fallout and what consequences. I'm sure a bunch of us right now have imagined... You know, the economy into April and the economy into May. And then, you know, by the time June gets in, in here, we're all living under a bridge somewhere. I'll save a space for you. You know, we can pull up together and your kids can sit and play with mine. That's how we're thinking this thing through. But God invites us. He says, look, I recognize you're in a moment that, that feels anxious to you. What do you do as a, as a chosen person of God? What do you do? Well, you take those anxieties and you put them on the Lord. So he, he knows they're there. Put them on him, cast them because he cares for you. And then absorb the realities of of the time element that are here, right? Uh, There's a time element here when God will eventually do something to change these things. That's what he describes here. Eventually, at the perfect time, after a little while, he is going to act. And, and, And listen, that, that demands that we believe something about God. That demands that we believe that God actually has the power to act in the future in a way that nothing can stop him. That we're not reading this verse going, yeah, but can he really do that? Will he really come through in that moment? I mean, what if this virus becomes worse? What if another one comes along? You know, what if it mutates and, and whatever vaccine we come up with can't stop? Listen, those things might stop us, but... but That doesn't control God at the perfect time. God is going to do exactly what he has planned to do in this world and in our lives. Now notice something else here. I just want to highlight this because it's in the verse. And I appreciate that in all the things that could be going on in our lives, don't overlook this. Be sober-minded, verse 8. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Listen, uh, the Bible's not some fairy tale book. Right? This, is, this is a God of the universe who understands every molecule of what exists, every spiritual dimension of what exists in our world. And when he speaks into our suffering, he makes you aware, hey, don't forget, uh, you're not the only spiritual being walking around this earth. There's another guy here. 
And he specializes in evil, in fallenness, in temptation. You're going to need to be aware that when you traffic through suffering, you're going to need to be aware that he is among you somewhere. So we recognize um, with all the coronavirus headlines that are out there, there, there is a devil out there. He's a spiritual being who is opposing the purpose of God and he's opposing the operation of faith in each one of our lives. That's why we have to resist him firm in your faith. Remember, that was the thing that Satan was after in Peter's life, right? Jesus warned Peter, Satan has demanded permission to sift you as wheat. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. So in this moment right now, The coronavirus may be after some kind of protein receptor in you that's going to cause something else in your body to begin to function a certain way. Okay, that's the biological explanation of what's going on. Can I just tell you, there is a creature in this world, the Bible calls him the devil. He is after your faith right now. He wants to pull it down. He wants to distract it, pull it away from God, put it in human resource and, and cause you to live in the anxieties of fear. He's on the playing field right now. He's not the only thing happening, but he's on the playing field. Appreciate a recent book that's been released from uh, David Powelson called Safe and Sound, Standing Firm in Spiritual Battles. Excellent read. He says this about the devil. He says, the Bible never ignores Satan and the forces of evil arrayed against God's people. The real devil is utterly normal, and his role is fully integrated into daily life. Mundane evil is the devil's business, right? Isn't that true from the garden, right? We don't get out of the Garden of Eden without being introduced to both sin, temptation in human life, bad decisions that bring destruction. But behind the scenes, we get to meet that there was a devil interacting with all that while it was happening. Allison goes on and says, at the same time, Scripture never puts Satan and his activities front and center. God puts people and our relationship to him and each other front and center. That's That's an excellent insight because the devil is on the pages of Scripture. But it's important to notice how he is part of the conversation. Notice, Peter doesn't start this with the devil. He starts it with us humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. So, you know, don't get lost in trying to figure out the the right formula to bind the spirit of the coronavirus. Um, Not sure that's even in the Bible somewhere. Do this though. Do recognize the Bible calls on us to be connected to God a certain way in the midst of everything that goes wrong in this pandemic world and everything that the devil can do against us. Our walk with God, our connection with God, our knowledge of God, our awareness of God, our faith in God is primary. And so that's where this passage starts, doesn't it? Hey, you, take some action. You take some, I know the devil's taking some action too, but you take some action. You humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Be looking to him right now, right? And then the Bible's going to go on and tell us a lot about interacting with each other. But that's what's here in this verse. And then... Verse 9 through 10 brings up the fact that this suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So, so listen, um, good for us to be mindful. The, the, the universe didn't suddenly take a left turn on March the 10th. Suddenly, all, 
all of a sudden, something's never happened. Uh, no, there, there has been suffering of God's people and of human beings throughout the history of humanity. So, so we haven't fallen into some weird place that God doesn't even answer for. Well, no, in 1 Peter, there is an answer being highlighted here, right? And these are incredible insights, not just for us. These, these are Palm Sunday insights, right? We're going to see just a second here. Jesus is going to present himself into a situation of suffering, and he's going to have to trust that God can make good on everything that he said in this passage. What Peter picks up for us, Jesus had to pick up himself when he walked around as the Son of Man and came riding into Jerusalem. These truths that you and I need right now, he needed them on the day that he came into Jerusalem knowing this is it. This is the last week, Holy Week. My mission is finishes this week and it's going to be a rough week he needed that passage we need that passage but let me highlight something and i brought this up a little bit last week peter provides some reasons tucked in this look to god moment right we humble ourselves under god during times of fear because we recognize that god is mighty and that he controls the times of our lives. There are reasons here to look to God. Because he is mighty. He's powerful. God's got abilities. God's controlling things like time right now. So there's a reason for us. And, and remember, when Jesus confronted anxiety last week for us as we looked at Matthew chapter 6, remember, he, he directed us in two directions. He said, first, know your life accurately. Remember, is not your life more than food and clothing or whatever else that we're afraid the coronavirus might take from us? Is not your life more than that? I got to agree with Jesus if I want to get anxiety to leave me alone. If I can't agree with him, if I think, well, no, 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 that is all my life, then you're going to have fits with anxiety. But the second thing, that Jesus highlighted was, don't you know your father? That he knows that you need these things, right? So when Jesus confronted anxiety, he said, know your life accurately and know your God deeply. That's why I I love this phrase. This is a life phrase for me. It's in the book that I recommended last week, right in the beginning by A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy When he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I know I've I've read that sometimes. My wife, early on, when I used to rave about that phrase, she'd say, so why are you so jazzed about that phrase? All right, well, just think for a moment. You're going to live into the future, the future with all these vulnerabilities, with all these questions, with the fears what are you going to do next in your life? How are, you going to, how are you going to practice and walk out life? Well, who is God? And what's he going to do in the future? Is God wimpy? Is he, is he lacking ability? Is he not very smart? Does he not know everything that's going to happen? Because if, if that's the case, then I'm going to venture in very carefully and gingerly because not even God knows what he's doing. But if God is who he describes himself to be, and he's acted that out in human history, well, then the steps that I take are filled with courage and a sense of trust and faith in who God is. 
So whoever I'm going to be in this life, that's the most important thing about me. Who do I believe God is, right? So in this passage, do you think that God is mighty? Do, Do you think that? Or is there some weakness in God that he kind of can't handle what's happening right now in your life, in the world? Do you think he's almighty, right? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Well, yeah, well, that's cool, but what if there's another force out there? What if there's something greater out there? Is God almighty? Is there anything out there that could cause God's plan not to get accomplished? Right? What do I believe about that? Do you think that he controls times and seasons. He's made a promise that he's going to act at the right time. Do you you believe he can pull that off? Do you trust that? Do you think that he cares for you? Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. you. Are you convinced of that? As you're worried about maybe God's not taking notice, that there's things happening right now that are out of control. But are you convinced? Hey, no, no, right now. I know it looks weird. But I know God cares for me. He's he's taking into account everything that's impacting my world right now. Do you think that there are people or problems or pandemics or even devils that are greater than he is? Let's face it, that's a hard one. Um, Because there are people in our lives that that we think they're going to wreck our lives. No matter what God is, no matter what he's ever done for us, we're convinced that there are people in our lives that are going to wreck our lives. And so we live in the anxiety of that. Somebody's going to fall short. Somebody who can't do their role. Somebody who's going to harm us. Do you believe that God is greater than all that? Do you think that he'll make good on his promises, right? God in this verse promises suffering people to restore, to confirm, to strengthen, and to establish you. You're right. God speaks like there's a day on his calendar, like he's already inked it in, right? He wrote down, okay, here's the day to restore Confirm, strengthen, establish. Right there. It's, it's right there written in the calendar. Do, do you believe that God has that kind of power in our lives? Right? These, are, these are character questions. These have to do with what we believe about God. Do we trust him? Is he inclined toward us? Did he suddenly become our enemy? Is he available? Is he listening? Is he insistent on doing hard things in my life? Can he show up when I'm so weirded out and I'm so dysfunctional? Could God's grace be bigger than my faith and my fears? What do you believe about God? Now, I get, we just said, this is the most disrupted day of our lives. I think that's probably pretty accurate for most of us. How do you feel about trusting this God in a day where stuff feels so disrupted. Do you you feel like you can do that? Do you feel like this God gets what you're going through or is he just out of touch? All right, well, let's, let's draw close to the God who knows disruption. If any being in the universe understands disruption, it is our God. So let's glance for a moment at a disrupted Savior and then we'll look at that disrupted disciple's before we're done, right? Fact. Here's my fact in your outline. No one knows disruption like Jesus Christ. And no one has had to trust and look to God the Father like Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. All right, so today is Palm Sunday. 
this was a typical Palm Sunday, we would not be talking about most of what I just described, right? We would just be honing into the passage where Jesus, seated on the colt of a donkey, is riding his way into Jerusalem and folks are spreading palm branches in front of him. That would be Palm Sunday. That would be a typical Palm Sunday message. But I want to feature this God who knows something about disruption, right? So here is the Son of God riding on a donkey into a third world looking village town called Jerusalem, which raises a question. What is he doing here? What on earth? You see, now, if if you only pick the story up and you say, well, that's Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, so he's from the town over there riding in on a donkey to the town over here. You don't even ask that question. What is he doing here? People from Nazareth came there all the time. So you're going to have to think a little bit outside the box, right? Because he's not just Jesus of Nazareth, is he? He's God come in the flesh. He is the eternal God having put on an earth suit and he's riding, needing transportation right now. Can't just blink himself there. He's got to ride on something to get into Jerusalem. The question is, what on earth is he doing here? When you and I start this story in the incarnation, uh, we need to go a little bit farther back than that. The incarnation is a massively important story, but there was something that happened just before that that will open your understanding to what disruption really looks like, right? I think I put this in your outline, this, this concept in Scripture is called the kenosis. Right? It's a big fancy word for God emptying himself. So in your outline, I think I put this, it says, it is, it is truly remarkable and attention-grabbing that the eternal God who is everywhere present, who is not confined to time and space, who is immaterial, would take on the disruptive limits of human flesh, right? Can you get that? How disrupted is that? The eternal God is bound in time. The infinite God who is everywhere, no, right now he's right here. He's riding on the back of a colt of a donkey into Jerusalem. But it is even more mind-blowing to ponder what Jesus was laying aside in this hour to become a creature. It's one thing to imagine God has become one of us. It's another thing to get in touch with what he was laying aside in this moment. Right? Question, who is this eternal God? What is fellowship in the Godhead like? I mean, do we even have a concept of this God who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who live and dwell together in perfect union and harmony. Never a moment where anybody wants out of this deal. This mind-blowing background. Listen, no one has ever been more disrupted than the God who set aside his glory to take on human limits, boundaries, and routines. And then, this is what awaits him as he rides into Jerusalem, and then went to a cross to face the worst disruption that could ever exist. The perfect, spotless, blameless one will receive in himself our sin and judgment, and he will drink in our 
death. That's disruptive. Right? And this gets captured in Philippians chapter 2. I'm just going to read this and we'll take it apart for a couple of minutes. Philippians 2 verse 5. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. So, He exists as the eternal, infinite God, but he's about to take that and set it aside by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Right. Can, can you say disruption? Right. Can you see in this Jesus has to travel through the same thing that Peter describes in 1 Peter chapter 5. There's this massive disruption that enters this realm of suffering for a little while. And that timing is completely in the hands of the Father. And Jesus surrenders himself to that until God would exalt him at the proper time, right? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and at the proper time, he will exalt you. Jesus had to do exactly that. He became obedient unto death. He humbled himself, recognizing I am putting my existence, if you will, into the hands of my father. I'm humbling myself under his mighty hand that at the proper time, he will exalt me. That's exactly what ends up happening. Therefore, God has highly exalted him he was in the form of god with all of its power all of its beauty and character right we, we sing you know we, we usually start the jesus story with the incarnation that's kind of where we hang out we sing carols around christmas hark the herald angels sing you ever notice this little line we sing by it really fast mild he lays his glory by born that man no more may die. I'm not sure which one of those you want to celebrate more. I'm grateful he was born that man no longer may die. But do you get the massiveness? What was it like for God to disrobe and lay aside himself being God in order to take on form of being a man? This, this harmony between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that from eternity past, they enjoyed the connection, the company, the, the perfect, no lack, no need, never bored existence between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Right, we, we get, there was never a day in eternity past, before there was any earth, before any human life, in eternity past, we never are going to encounter a day on the calendar where the Godhead looks like, I'm bored. I need something. What do you want to do? I don't know. There was only complete harmony and pleasure and enjoyment of one another among the Godhead. And that's going to get laid aside in this moment. 
right? Jesus leaves something that from eternity past, all creation looks to him, right? You remember these concepts throughout scripture? Psalm 145 verse 14 says, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The eyes of all look to you. Not anymore. That's disrupted. When the God of glory puts on a human outfit, he walked past people left and right on earth who didn't look to him. They didn't give him the time of day. They didn't recognize who he was. There was not respect for him. Right? This, all of creation was hardwired to look to him as the glorious being that he was. But when he put on human flesh, that all got disrupted. Psalm 104, verse 24. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And in verse 27, these all look to you. Not anymore. They weren't all looking to him. I could pretty much guarantee, not sure everybody in the area around Jerusalem showed up to put a palm branch in front of the son of God, riding in on a colt. They had other stuff to do. They had laundry to do, right? They had to run to the store. Uh, There was probably a soccer game going on because they didn't play football in Jerusalem. Everybody knows that. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlines. God gathers all the beaches together like dust in his hands. Lebanon, would not suffice for fuel, nor its beast enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? This is the God who's riding in the Jerusalem on the back of a donkey on Palm Sunday. To him, the nations are like dust on the scales, right? You know what that phrase is referring to? It's like when you go to weigh stuff, the dust on the scales are insignificant, right? You put stuff on there, you weigh it, and it kind of goes, okay, this is how much this weighs. But the scale had dusts on it, but the dust was insignificant. God says his infiniteness, his greatness, when you pull something into the conversation with him, the nations become dust on the scales, Not just the people. The nations become that. Not anymore. That's all disrupted in this moment. Do you remember the image of Isaiah encountering the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6? He suddenly becomes aware that every day there is a throne room filled with angelic beings. That's going on here. It's going on now. And these beings are rocked by who God is. And so they're specially equipped to even be near to God. They've got six wings. Two of them are used to cover themselves, to guard them from the glory that's coming from God, coming in contact with them. And all day long, they never run out of breath and eagerness to say one more time, holy, holy, 
Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy. It's never boring. They never said it good enough. It was dripping with a little bit more intensity than the last one. And they can't wait to say it again. That's this God. And you fast forward all the way to Revelation chapter 21. And that same God is seated on the throne. The God who was seated on the donkey. That's him. Right? When we meet Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey, it is clear that all this has been disrupted. Right? He will be challenged and corrected and disregarded in the next few days. There will be arguments in the coming week and people will blow him off. He will be treated like an insignificant common criminal in the next few days. He will be beaten, mocked, and crucified in the next few days. The adoration of all of creation looking for him is disrupted in this moment. He, the innocent one, the worshiped one, the worthy one, will become the object of God's judgment and wrath against sin in the next few days. He, the one eternally in fellowship with God the Father, And with the Holy Spirit is going to have these words come out of his mouth. My God, why have you forsaken me? From an eternity, an experience that had never been known is suddenly known by the Son of God. He knows some sense of disconnection from God the Father. He, the eternal one and source of all life, will enter into death in the next few days. Can you say disrupted? All right, so can you agree with me? No one knows disruption like Jesus Christ. And no one has had to trust in the Father during that disruption like Jesus Christ. I know we've got stuff that could happen to us, things that are possibilities, but do you understand what was in the plan for Jesus No one has ever experienced all of sin and judgment and wrath from God being visited upon them. But on the other side of that, Jesus had to trust that on the other side of that, at the proper time, he would be exalted by the Father. You and I have no idea what that's about. But that's what Jesus went through in his massive love for us. So, without question... Without question, our our lives are traveling through a period of massive disruption. Uh, Have you been tempted to believe that God doesn't understand what you're going through right now? You've been tempted to believe that? Scripture is filled with this reality. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might by his poverty become rich. Listen, I I know we're concerned that money that we've saved and things that we've planned and security that we have and the, the stuff that has taken a lifetime for us to to gather and to have as a resource and the fear of going from rich to less rich or from less rich to poor, that would be massively disruptive and we're concerned about that. I get that. I'm a human being too. But for us to ponder that God doesn't get that, that he doesn't know what that's about. Oh, no, no. There was no one 
more rich than him who became poor in a way that none of us could ever travel that far into poverty as he did. Your father knows exactly what you're going through. Jesus Christ bore these things in himself. Now let me just close with this thought. Jesus is this disrupted savior. He prepared his disciples to live a disrupted life. All right, please don't think that somebody after walking with Jesus and being led by him and becoming his follower could have fallen in love with the idea that now that I've trusted Jesus, the king of the universe, the rest of my days are going to be like a day at the beach, one easy day after another. He's got it, just luxury and prosperity and abundance one day after another. Um, I don't know, if, if you've got that idea, don't, that would not be how you would have sounded if you'd have hung around with Jesus when he walked on this earth and he spent time with you and he poured into you truth about the life you're about to live. Right, the, the last, this last week, right, so this, we've entered into Holy Week today. Jesus got a few more days to talk to his boys about what it's gonna be like to live life. What do you think he's gonna talk about? What's his topic's going to be? Just a few more days left. Well, in Matthew 26, verse 1, we kind of pick up. This is probably Tuesday when this is said of the week. So he goes in on Sunday. This is Tuesday. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Right, so he's letting them in. Guys, this is about to become massively disruptive. Our relationship, massively disrupted. Me teaching you and guiding you and walking, massively disrupted. Right, but that's not all he said. Right? When you back up a little bit and you listen in on the conversations Jesus has been having, you, you, know, you back up. What are these phrases? When Jesus finished all these sayings, well, what were some of the sayings? Right? So I've opened my Bible up to Matthew chapter 24. Maybe I can read along with my slide man here rather than open my Bible. What do I got? Matthew chapter 24. Right? This is what Jesus has been talking about with his disciples after he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Verse 3, Matthew 24. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of of your coming and of the end of the age. And then scoot down to verse six. He says, well, you're, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. I love when Jesus says stuff like that because it's given away the fact that you're going to face something that's going to freak you out. Disciples of Jesus, today you are going to hear things that are going to alarm you. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. That's a massively important concept. Those of you who have 
walk through having children, you, be, you remember there was a moment when your wife turned to you and she said, ooh, I think I felt a contraction. And that was the beginning of birth pains. And she might not feel another one. She may be a day before she feels another one. And then all of a sudden she feels them every couple of hours and every hour and then every half hour and then every 15 minutes and then every few minutes. And then that baby's born. So Jesus said, this is what life on earth is going to entail. You're going to have some and you're going to have more and they're going to become more frequent and they're going to be more intense. Amen, ladies? Elbow your husband, let him know. There's an intensity here. This is not just a timing thing. These things become more intense. He says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. And we're going to live in a world where the love of people has grown cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. We're going to live in a time frame where endurance is going to be needed. And he goes on further and continues to describe how challenging these moments are going to be. And then when he gets to chapter 25, he breaks out these parables of urgency for those who are going to follow him in that day. The parable of the ten virgins, to be ready for this day. The parable of the talents, to be responsible with the calling that we have been given in our lives. And then that final judgment, and he makes them aware of that. So so am I saying Jesus' last preparatory lessons was, hey guys, Suit up. This is going to be really, really hard. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what I'm saying. And so part of you right now is saying, okay, well, Keith, that's, that's just super helpful. Thank you so much. Well, listen, don't blame that on me. That was not my last lessons to my disciples. That was Jesus' last lessons to his disciples. But you and I need to take that to heart because I think it's massively important. Jesus knew this, and I think we all recognize this. It's massively important that we get our expectations right. When your expectations get out of bounds, oh, life can become very, very, very hard to manage. So in this moment, Jesus is helping people to have the right expectations for the days that await us on planet Earth. Let me give you an illustration here. A few months back, our dear church members, young man named Harrison Bath, enlisted in the Marines. Now, if you are new to the planet, you know that enlisting in the Marines, uh, easy, isn't in the vocabulary, right? You're about to do some really hard stuff. Uh, I'm pretty sure Harrison was aware of that. He was clear that he was going to engage a process that was going to drag every ounce of his abilities out of him and challenge him. But before you kind of graduate into being a, a real Marine, you got to go through something called the crucible, right? And this, this is the crucible. This is the final exam, if you will, of becoming a Marine. The crucible is 54 hours. This is how long this test is. I thought the ACT test was too long, but 54 hours, 48 miles, 45 pounds of gear, 36 stations, four to six hours of sleep, limited nourishment, and various 
problem-solving exercises. That's the crucible. As hard as that is, I think we got a, a shot of our... This is him afterwards, so he, he made it, right? He got to the other side in spite of the fact that he had pneumonia while he was doing this. What if Harrison had thought he, was, he had signed up for Disney World? He couldn't wait to get to Disney World. He was going to get to ride Space Mountain. There would be Happy Mickey bouncing around all over the park, greeting him, hugging him, probably social distancing right now, but he would be happy to see Mickey. There would be laughter and there would be music going on in the background. He was prepared for Disney World. Can you imagine if your theology has prepared you for Disney World today? I don't know how you're surviving. I don't don't know how you are running to God. I don't know how you can trust him. Because it looks like he's gone bad. He's lost control. This was supposed to be easy. I, you know, I don't know what Bible we could possibly be reading to get that. But can I just assure everyone, disciples of Jesus have not signed on for Disney World. We, we have signed on for the crucible. That's what is in the future. And so there is a dimension here that disruption is part of the calling that you and I live in. There are moments of danger. There are moments when we will need to do our lives on planet earth and it's going to be dangerous to do our lives. There's going to be a threat to do our lives. There's going to be hostility. We could lose something along the way. That's what Jesus prepared people for. And he didn't sugarcoat it. Woe to you who are with babes. Oh, pray that this doesn't happen in the wintertime. I mean, just letting you know. You're going to need to cast your anxieties upon him because you're going to have moments where you feel very, very anxious. And now remember, in this moment, don't don't try and begin a conversation with God that just sounds like, God, you don't understand what I'm going through. You just don't understand what I'm going through. Remember what I started with. No one understands disruption more than Jesus Christ. And so the one who bore your life, he knows where you are. He knows what this feels like at a level that you and I don't even begin to understand. All right, so how how does this help us right now? Let me me pull us back into Peter's counsel for a disrupted world. Jesus is traveling on a donkey into Jerusalem, about to undergo massive disruption. He is going to put this verse on. So can I invite you to put this verse on with me? And I promise you today won't be the last day you got to put this on. You're going to need to put this on, well, next press conference, next week, next month. Right, we're going to need this. So how are you doing in these categories? There's an invitation here to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. What Jesus did in entering Jerusalem into this final week, he humbled himself to the point of obedience, even to a death on the cross that awaited him at the end of the week. And he entrusted himself to a God who said, I will exalt you at the proper time. All right, so 
Humble yourself right now. Recognize, God, the world feels like we're all in over our head and there are needs that perhaps could get birthed out of the month of April or May. We have no idea how to meet those needs. Okay, I get that. I'm with you. I need to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. I need to find my creaturely need for him to be who I know him to be and to know that he's in control of these times, right? Then I, I need to cast my cares on him because he cares for me. What, what, is, what is Jesus doing riding on a donkey into Jerusalem? He's caring for me. He's caring for you. Don't doubt that for a second. When, when you watch your stock plunge, when you watch your bank account have a hard time keeping up, when you're concerned about a loved one that's in your life that's got the coronavirus and had to be taken to the hospital, don't stop and get confused about whether God cares for you. Take your anxiety and cast it on him because you're convinced he cares for you. And then lastly, as this thing drags on, as it's going to start feeling like it's dragging on, you and I are going to need to believe in God's timing and God's purpose. God stares at these moments and he introduces us to words that are very helpful. Like a little while. This is going to happen for a little while. At the proper time, I will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is the promise of God. Listen, Jesus had to walk this exact road. And you and I are called on not to do it in our own strength. Don't you you thank God that God doesn't say, hey, I'm I'm waiting for you guys to get this together. Uh, No, no, no. What Jesus accomplished at the end of this week, by dying in our place and being resurrected, was the giving of the Holy Spirit, right? And this is what's coming up on our Christian calendar, right? The resurrection is going to give way to the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes and dwells with us and gives us the grace to walk in what First Peter 5 is calling on us to do. So this is not a, hey, pull yourself up by the bootstrap moment. This is a depend on the Holy Spirit to help you. Humble yourself before a mighty God to cast your anxieties upon him and to entrust your life to one who has control over time. How long will this last? Not a second longer than the God of our universe has ordained for it to last. Let's pray together. Father, thank you Thank you that you are not distant and removed and unaware. You, on this day, you were in a human body getting a lift from a donkey into a city where conflict awaited you, misunderstanding awaited you, accusations awaited you, mistreatment awaited you, ignorance awaited you. Hostility awaited you. A cruel cross awaited you. The wrath of God against sin awaited you. The bitter taste of death awaited you. You lived humbling yourself in obedience to your Father. Trusting in his mighty hand to pull you up out of the grave. And at just the right time. God the Father would restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you and exalt your name 
above every other name. Lord, you have proven yourself to be that God. You will be that to us as well. As we look to you, as we put our faith, our trust, our hope in the one who rode into Jerusalem, on the back of a donkey. You, Lord, we look to. You, we trust. You, we humble ourselves before. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we are praying for you. Thank you for all the ways you're making us aware of how we can pray for you, needs that you're experiencing, people in your lives that we can pray for you. I I want you to know, I had the thought the other night as I just walked around in prayer, watching people's situations change and thinking, Lord, one day, will we have the pleasure of standing and being aware of how a person's situation changed from dire health need to health? They were right on the edge there and suddenly there was a move and they became healthy. And and God, would you show us? There were prayer closets all over this city of people like you who were calling out to God and saying, no, God, don't let this, God, move on this person's behalf. So please tune into the prayer chain. Take up this place, this hour to pray for one another. God is with us, among us for a little while. This is gonna happen for a little while. And our God at, at the proper time will answer and will meet our needs for his glory and for our good. We love you. We'll see you this week.